heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. We knew it was going to be painful to watch this State of the Union. He's just not a good communicator. He's not a good orator. He doesn't have anything to work with. Uh, in those, listen, that's on his best days. That's surely on his best days. Uh, some people are good at that kind of thing. Some people are not. Uh, it is painful to watch it. Now, truth of the matter is, and I share this with some of the folks in my circle, I said, they said, well, are you going to watch the speech? Now, they know I watch everything like that, of course, right? Being a political pundit, junkie, uh, whatever. Uh, so they said, are you going to watch the speech? I said, oh, wow. I said, well, I'm going to have to, you know, put it on. And so, so here's what I did. So I, I put it on, okay, all right? My wife says to me, oh, my God, she says, you're not going to watch that, are you? I mean, it's painful. And then to her, it's even more painful. She said, you're not going to watch that, are you? I said, well, I, she said, you, you really have to, don't you? I said, yeah, i got to watch it. So I said, well, that's all right. I'm going to open up a bottle of bourbon. That will make this even that much more uh, easier, smoother, you know, on on uh, on the mind, you know. So I opened a bottle of bourbon, you know, I'm stuck with a bottle of bourbon, you know. And, of course, if you did one of those drinking games and you took just a shot every time he lied, you know, I counted it and, you know, seven minutes in, I could feel my liver tightening up. I thought, oh boy, this this game won't play well at all. I thought I better back off just slightly, maybe, you know. And you know, that was seven minutes in, and about, oh, uh, I'd say hmm, maybe 12, 15 minutes in, I could not take any more. I confess fully to you, my fellow Americans, and to our friends around the globe. I could not take any more, and I had to take it off. I, I was not barely intoxicated, I, I assure you. I, I was ahead all my thinking uh, abilities here, but I surely had to turn that State of the Union off. And I said, well, we'll, we'll watch the lowlights later on, and I'll, I'll get the gist of what happened, but I surely can't tolerate much more of this. It is a painful process, uh, for real. And, uh, you know, we've watched a lot of people on both sides of the political aisle. And, and usually a president can, you know, navigate through this, uh, these murky waters. Of course, the State of the Union is an opportunity. Uh, more than anything, it's a moment. And that bully pulpit, the president gets the power of the office. And there is something, it's, how do I say to you? It's, it's our royalty. It's our majesty, you know, and you hear the, you know, the, the sergeant and honest come out, the president of the United, and you're, you're, it's just kind of a moment. You know what I mean? It's, it's sort of our moment. And it's like, oh boy, put your best, you know, best clothes on and we'll feel pretty good. And then you see all the, you know, the kissing and the back and forth and the rubbing of hands. And of course, all the masks were off this time. They just changed the policy uh, about a week or so plus ago here for this event, I understand, uh, which was another story, irritated a lot of people that they didn't do it much sooner. But, you know, these people, you know, they follow the science, of course, you know, naturally. So the science suddenly appeared and there we go. So, and of course they were, you know, doing the hand gestures and all that. The one thing I noticed is uh, Biden made it to the, um, uh, his uh, pulpit there much quicker, sooner, faster than normally a president would. Did you notice that as well? Because I did, I did, as I see, say, I seen the first part of this thing. 
And he did make it there much quicker. I think back to other presidents, normally that's a longer process and the applause is tremendous. And then, you know, the applause, if a president is doing a good job, it's like, oh, then you say, and there's more applause and there's more applause. And it's like, before he even says anything, this one sort of, I don't, I haven't heard anybody say this, but this is what I sensed from it. Seemed like it was pretty quick and fast and they were doing their best to put on their, their Sunday spirit at the moment, you know, oh, we feel pretty good. But, you know, I mean, everybody in the room knows that the man is a buffoon. He's a living legend of a buffoon. And there is no other way to look at that, uh, my friend. So anyways, that's my assessment of that uh, opening 12, 15 minutes of the bell. But yes, I've looked through all the, the transcripts and the and the uh, archives of this disaster at this point, so I could have this terrific conversation with you today. And so with that, my fellow Americans and to our friends, I welcome you in to the voice of a nation here, and we will give you the state of the union or the state of the nation, maybe our viewpoint of it today, and a whole lot more in regards to the latest in the Ukraine-Russia catastrophe that's happening in Europe and uh, much, much more here. I want to bring on uh, one of our experts and friends, a uh, terrific guy. Uh, Wallace Garneau joins me now. He's a political analyst, commentator, uh, served in the U.S. Marine Corps, uh, author of the book, The Way Forward, Lean to Leadership and Systems Thinking for Large and Small Businesses. And that's uh, right in the America Art Loud bookstore on Amazon, so on and so forth. Uh, and, you know, uh, I love having you on, Wallace, because, you, it, it, hey, listen, I don't want this to go to your head, but you, you're one of the smarter people I know. So I, I don't want to give you a big ego before we start here, but I enjoy talking to you. So we get a pretty good sense. And you always, but yeah, I'm not going to, we're probably not going to agree on everything today. Uh, I'll give that assessment up front here. That's that's my sense, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And I'll, all right. So, I, I think, well, let me start first with normally a State of the Union. The president talks about his achievements. Uh, and that's, it's really, a, and, I, and I wonder, you know, I have to, truth be told here now, I thought they were going to cancel this. I didn't, I really didn't think this was going to come off. I thought for sure they would easy, could blame it on the war and, you know, so on and so forth. Say, well, we really can't do this right now. Uh, I mean, you know, it would have been a better shot for them, maybe. There was nothing to celebrate. There was no achievements to talk about. He had nothing. He had, it was a bare chest. It was like he went to the chest and it was totally bare. There was nothing there in the cabinet, you know? So that's kind of where it starts. There was nothing to tout, really. And you couldn't really build on any of that. So without that, wasn't that a big challenge for President Joe Biden uh, in this realm? You know, it's glad you asked me that. I actually do a bit on Facebook where I, uh, I, I pretend to be applying for a job as a Joe Biden speechwriter. Uh, in this case, if I had been writing a speech for Joe Biden, I probably would have opened up with Ukraine, as he did. Uh, and I would have touted the fact that uh, of all the countries on Earth, we have diplomatically prevented 193 of them from invading Ukraine. Yeah, that was perfect. So, so you would have looked for the silver lining clearly and, full, and pulled out as many fibs as you could. Hey, listen, any good speechwriter does that, right? Right, that's what Absolutely. they do. Yeah, In this you, case, I would look at my watch to find out whether or not Bel uh, Belarus is invaded yet, because that would drop it to 192. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Well, let me tell you, it, it, let's start with this Washington Post piece. But I have to say, when I say Washington Post, I know everybody gets a certain visual in their mind. But this particular one I'll share with you right now is by Mark Thiessen. And so I, I start there because, you know, everybody knows Mark Thiessen is more of a, uh, um, 
well, I don't wouldn't call him a strong, strong conservative, but he's a good voice, and and he um, he 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 plays politics pretty well, I think. Uh, this piece was entitled. Uh, it, first of all, it had the word opinion. Now you can imagine, Wallace, if this is running in the post. They want to because the headline was Americans think the state of the union is a disaster. Now, you wouldn't expect to see that headline in the Washington Post. And the Washington Post uh, is uh, sensitive to those kinds of hits on the Marxist left because they usually tote, they tote the horn and blow the megaphone for the communists on a regular daily basis. So what they did in the particular case, they put made sure the word opinion was be so opinion and then, yes, Americans think the State of the Union is a disaster. The Washington Post wanted no part of that headline, for sure, for certain, you know. And they say here that model won't work for President Biden. Most Americans don't think the State of the Union is strong. They think Biden's first year has been disaster. Since he took office, we have experienced, listen to this now, it, 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 back to a speechwriter, Wallace. Since he took office, we have experienced the worst inflation in 40 years the worst crime wave in many cities since the 1990s, the worst border crisis in U.S. history, the worst foreign policy debacle in recent memory if in Afghanistan, the worst global health crisis in a century is still upending our lives, and we are witnessing the worst act of unproved uh, aggression in Europe since World War II. That's a hell of a lineup, isn't it? It sure is. I mean, just look at that list, one, two, three, five, I mean, all of that. But I would go further. I wouldn't say the worst inflation in what he is and, you know, the worst crime wave since the 90s. I mean, when you combine all this together, I think it has a lot of people very, very fearful about where we're at, what really is the state of the union right now. Do you ever remember a time in your life when you felt all around you we were being squeezed the way we are being squeezed? And uh, and are you having, uh, seriously, are you having difficulty, as millions of people appear to be, uh, putting a uh, positive face on any of this? When you wake up in the morning, knowing not only that, but the threat of a nuclear war is on the side of this, too. And all, I mean, do you, how does this shape your days up? And do you, get a, do you think people have a sense of this? Do they carry this weight with them through their days? Well, Malcolm, I think uh, we're both old enough that we grew up in the days when uh, you actually get drills in school to get under your desk and prepare for a nuclear blast. Yeah. So Cold War mentality, you know, yeah, this this I absolutely remember those days. I remember growing up uh, thinking about you know, I, I read somewhere or heard somewhere that it takes 30 minutes for an intercontinental ballistic missile to go from the Soviet Union to anywhere in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I remember growing up and wondering what I would do with that 30 minutes. And uh, that's something a lot of young people I don't think can really relate to. But, you know, you and I grew up in a world where we could die 30 minutes from now at any moment in history, where all of a sudden uh, you, you hear on the news, you're going to be dead in 30 minutes. And that was the world we grew up in. Yeah. And uh, people, a lot of people today didn't grow up in that world. And I think this might be their first taste of you could be dead in 30 minutes at any time. Uh, because of somebody making a mistake on the world stage. And what we're seeing now is, you know, I can make all kinds of jokes about 193 countries did not invade, uh, did not invade Ukraine. Uh, but what we're seeing right now is an absolute dumpster fire of epic proportions. Uh, Joe Biden is making Jimmy Carter look like uh, an incredibly powerful man. When Jimmy Carter, the only difference between Carter and Biden is that 
Carter's problem was he couldn't delegate. He was actually probably one of the brightest presidents we've ever had. Also, one of the most honest presidents we've ever had. I think if Jimmy Carter had given, if he was president right now, he would have gotten up there and he would have said, ladies and gentlemen, I'm effing everything up. This is an absolute dumpster fire. And here's how we're going to try to make it better. Biden's not an honest man. So uh, what you saw was what you see with Joe Biden is you see him doing everything wrong. And incidentally, is everything that the hard left or that the new left or whatever you want to call that proponent of the left wants him to do. And their core problem is they see the world the way they want it to be. They don't see the world the way it is. They're completely oblivious to the way the world really is. So they think that we can project weakness, for example. And if we're projecting weakness and we believe we're good people, they think that Vladimir Putin is going to respond to that by reciprocating. The idea that he might respond to that by saying, what a great time to invade Ukraine is, is completely foreign to them. So yeah, what we, we're, we're being led by blind idiots, and not just Joe Biden. The entire, it, it seems like the entire leadership of the country, those that have the authority to do so, those that are running committees in Congress, uh, it, it seems like we're being led by complete idiots right now. And they, they seem to be doing everything wrong. So, so yeah, this, this, to me, it almost feels like I'm a kid again, learning how to duck under the desk in case uh, Gorbachev or, or Khrushchev or somebody decides to light us up. Yeah, and your observation of uh, Jimmy Carter uh, was perfect, and people might remember that. That's it was a good assessment. It's an interesting man for the times, but it, honest to a fault, very clumsy, couldn't do anything uh, effectively. But just the same, you at least got some sense of truth. And then an apology after the truth, you're, you're exactly right. And then he would try to do his very best the next time out there. You don't get that. It's it's a perfect observation that people should think about that. And then you see, you just know when Joe Biden's lips are moving, he's lying. He doesn't know any other way. It's his fabric. It's his DNA. His, his brain automatically lies, Wallace. He can't help himself. It just is there. When his mouth opens, it's a lie. It, you know what I mean? It's just there. And he's it just, it's the same. It's a hell of an observation. Uh, now, you, um, you, you say your point of reference in the 30-minute uh, mark uh, is interesting in that we grew up in a very uh, in a, a Cold War nuclear environment. Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, Mikhail Gorbachev, uh, and Pope John Paul was there for the ride as well. Changed the world back then. I mean, it was dramatic what happened. That was done with pure leadership. That was that was peace through strength all the way. That that is that was a historical moment, and I was thrilled. I that's when I really got to admire what Reagan was capable of doing. And oftentimes in recent days, I've said to myself, Wallace, good golly, could we use the statesmanship and the strength of a Ronald Reagan, number 40 right now, huh? Absolutely. Not just the statesmanship and the, uh, the, the courage of a Ronald Reagan, the conviction of a Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Reagan was called the great communicator because he spoke with precision uh, but also he spoke with conviction. When you heard Ronald Reagan speak, you heard the emotion in his voice. You yeah. heard the love of country coming out. He exuded yeah. the kind of leadership that, that, that exemplifies what a true statesman is. He, in my opinion, he's the finest president of my lifetime. 
Yeah, I would agree. See, you and I would agree with that. Uh, you're right. There's something in it. Whenever I see a clip right now or anything of him, I just have to stop. And I have incredible admiration for what the man stood for and what he did, as you just say, for patriotism and for Americans. He made it proud again to be an American in so many ways. There are a lot of comments uh, Wallace, coming out of D.C. right now. There are a lot of adjectives being used in describing uh, Vladimir Putin, a uh, lot, of, lot of adjectives. And Senator Joni Ernst came out and she called him. He, he used to be just an autocratic thug. He's now a murderous autocratic thug, but he's always been a murderous autocratic thug, so I don't necessarily agree with her. He's been that way through his entire existence, if you just look historically what the man has done for humanity. I mean, there was no, no other way to size that up. Now, putting that there a moment, but she put that out there as a United States senator on the public stage. I mean, murderous autocratic, that's pretty sounding. That gets in your head a little bit. Uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy calls him reckless, evil, dangerous, mentally deranged. Uh, and that's a word I've been hearing a lot through these operatives is mentally deranged. Now, I want to ask you, with studying Vladimir Putin, being a student of the game, as you are, and looking at his um, mannerisms, there's been talk of him coming back from China. And there's even reports I've even seen where they thought maybe he was even... Uh, whatever, poisoned or virused or something out of China, because he wasn't looking the same after that. I've heard reports of that, by the way. But people are thinking he doesn't look the same. Something's wrong with him. He's, he's sweating more. Something's not quite right. Men, they're using the words mentally deranged, or in this case, murderous autocratic thug. Do you think he is um, having in his brain um, a derangement sort of problem? Is is he, I mean, he's been isolated for a while now. What's his mental state, do you think? He went to the Olympics in Beijing as one of Jai Jinping's personal guests. And something happened. He was supposed to be there for the introduction, the opening ceremony and everything. And uh, he was staying at Jai Jinping's residence. But uh, many of the other people in his delegation were staying in, uh, in a hotel in Beijing. And apparently some of them got sick. I know you've had on, on your channel, you've been talking about some of the different diseases that are running around in China. This appears to be one of the more serious ones. Uh, is it possible that Putin contracted something? Of course it is. Is it possible that uh, that he did not contract something? Maybe, of course it is. Is it possible that physically he contracted something, but mentally he's still there? Of course it is. I don't know what his mental state is right now in terms of whatever happened in Beijing and in terms of uh, whether he's got something now that he didn't have before or whatever. Uh, and it's it's hard to, to, to try to determine that watching just the few sound bites that we see. I don't speak Russian, so I can't even understand the man. I have to go by translations of what he said. Uh, I do know what Putin is like and what he has been like over the course of his career. And uh, I don't think he's deranged. I don't think he's necessarily, it's easy to call him evil because we tend to look at him from a Western perspective, an American perspective. I think he's a very shrewd person. I think he's very pragmatic, but he approaches the world from a different perspective than we do. We want safety. We want security. We want countries to be able to drive their own. You know, we want liberty, for example. We want Ukraine to be run by the Ukrainians. From his perspective, Ukraine is a part of Russia. It's a part of Russia that's kind of a wayward sun. It's running off in its own direction. 
And he sees the, the capability of bringing it back into the fold as a part of, you are a part of Mother Russia, and we're going to embrace you against your will if necessary. And, yeah. you know, to him, that makes perfect sense. To us, it's autocratic. To him, it's just right. Russia bringing Russia home. Is Simple question. Is he capable of launching a nuclear device, a, a series of them? Is he capable of that? I don't know that there are still enough nuclear weapons either in the United States or Russia to completely obliterate all life on the face of the earth. Uh, but I don't want to find out either. He is one of three people that could absolutely light up a, a, a nuclear war. So he, he, could, he, he, he would do it, you think? He, he, he would do it? Well, I think there are certain circumstances where I don't know that he would do it. I, I think that any country that is going to get close to starting a nuclear war, even if the leader of the country wants to, there are going to be people around them that may have a moment okay. of pause. Uh, the book Red Storm Rising, and if you ever read that, but it actually ends with a military coup in the Soviet Union in order to prevent a nuclear war. Well, I want to come back to that in a moment. Uh, perfect. Uh, in, in just a moment here. If he is evil, if he is dangerous, if he's having any sort of mental derangement sort of thing, but evil, dangerous. All right, just look at his track record. He has no problem with killing as many people as he can. It doesn't seem to move him for the moment. He has murdered people in his circle. He has murdered journalists. He has murdered people by the thousands and tens of thousands. He has no, uh, he doesn't appear to be losing any sleep over killing children and mothers and soldiers, young boys in Ukraine or anywhere else for that matter. He has a track record of this. He has no, doesn't affect him at all, it appears to be, um, which is, I mean, he's desensitized toward that. Somebody like that, if pushed to the extremes and you make a total ass out of him and he's failing and losing, would he not unleash hell on earth? With the exception of Mikhail Gorbachev and Boris Yeltsin, I think you have just described every Russian leader going back to Lenin. And, and yet we have not had a nuclear war. Uh, I think that he is dangerous. But I think that he is a pragmatist. I, 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 he doesn't want nuclear war. The threat of nuclear war goes a whole lot further than nuclear war. Now, let me say something else there, too. If the Soviets had ever invaded Western Europe during the Cold War, they were absolutely planning on using tactical nuclear weapons to take out our bases in Germany and what have you. They're absolutely going to use tactical nuclear weapons. Their doctrine believed that you could use tactical nuclear weapons and not have a full-scale nuclear war. So, yeah, Putin would absolutely use nuclear weapons, at least at a tactical level. Uh, would, he, would, he, would he try to destroy all life on the face of the earth, though? Uh, well, that would mean not just him, but Russia, too. I, 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 don't, think that he would, I don't think that he would kill Russia uh, unless it was something absolute. Now, there are certain circumstances where that's possible. There are hills he is willing to die on. Uh, but I, I don't know that, uh, that no, he, he does not want to start a nuclear war. Yeah, if he is, if he knows he's dying, I mean, all right, so the man right now, I think he's 69 or 70, he's right about there for sure. And if he, you know, let's say he did get a virus and or his life ending situation or some other health problem or what have you, or he's just totally off the deep end in his brain, whatever it is, I mean, he's, he knows he's got a limited amount of time on the planet here. If he believes that it's all kind of over, and the West is prevailing, and his version of Mother Russia is, is totally failed. I mean, let's put it this way right now. The quality of life in Russia right now has just been decimated and fallen 
to the nth degree south, it was already not really good. And I see the West celebrating this, like this is some major success that we have got him by the short hairs. Hallelujah, right? There we are. And we're unleashing as much pain with all these sanctions and what have you, that that's a celebratory moment. And that that will bring him to his senses that he has no compassion for any people, including his own people. You protest on the street here, you get 20 years in treason, you'll be put in jail. There, there's no compassion with this man. So with all that, I mean, what would it take for somebody like this? The West is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him. What would it take for a man like that to say, you know what, I've had enough. You can have a hell on earth. Here it is. Well, interestingly, uh, his children don't live in Russia. He's got a daughter that lives in Germany. She's married to a German man. Uh, he's got a daughter that lives in the Netherlands. She's married to a Dutch man. His grandchildren are in Germany and the Netherlands. Uh, so for him to light up the West means lighting up his family. And I, I think that would have to give him a moment of pause. I would hope that at least he'd want his children to survive, which they would not in, in, in a nuclear war. He'd be, he'd be nuking his own kids. So I would hope that would give them a moment of pause. When I look Murderers, at the Ukraine, thugs kill their families all the time, by the way. When their uh, families are a threat. His kids don't even live in Russia. They're politically not a threat to him at all. As a matter of fact, I would have to assume that one of the reasons his kids don't live in Russia huh. is that should something happen to him, politically speaking, he doesn't want them to be bumped off. They're safer in the West. One of the downsides of being an autocratic dictator is there's always another wannabe autocratic dictator behind you that wants to stab you in the back and all of a sudden your children are a risk. So the fact that his children don't live in Russia to me is, is symbolic of him wanting his children to survive. So I, I, that at least gives me some hope. Uh, the, the hill he's willing to die on here, I think, is, uh, is, is the Crimean Peninsula. If you look at Russia geographically, it's only got so many ports. And the only ports that Russia has historically that Russia has that are not uh, cold water ports are in the Crimea. All their other ports freeze over in the winter. So without access to the ports in the Crimea, which are, of course, a part of Ukraine, uh, Russia is for a portion of the year landlocked. Well, but they were already gifted Crimea. They got that in 2014 yeah, from 2014. the of Barack Obama. Yes, yes. If, if, we, if, if we tried to intervene militarily on behalf of Ukraine, I think we could do it successfully without starting a nuclear war as long as we didn't threaten Russia's access to the ports in the Crimea. I think that's the hill he's willing to die on. He's not willing to give up access to those ports. So you think that he, okay, that's interesting. So you think he wouldn't go that far if we, so it, it, what you just said is if we engage to help Ukraine, which he has, and by the way, his threat was very ominous. He came right out and threatened. He said he, to the West, uh, he told them not to cross the line. I mean, I, I got his comments right here. And he made it very clear, but you think we could literally get involved in, because they're asking for a no-fly zone at the very least, uh, maybe not soldiers on the ground, but help them out there. And of course, we've refused to do that. You think we should? If I were president, we would have on day one, and Putin would have known we were going to do this before day one, deterrence is very, very important. So you want to make sure your intent is clear. If I, if I were present, we would have been bombing Russian troops as soon as they crossed the border. We wouldn't just have created a no-fly zone. We would have taken air superiority over the Ukraine, over Ukraine, don't we'll say the Ukraine, that's not good for Ukraine, but I would have taken air superiority over Ukraine and I would have been using our military, our air assets to give direct air support to the Ukrainian army. Even with a man with nuclear capability such as this man who could unleash that in a, in a, in a moment's notice. You would still do that. 
we are in a world war and the only way that we prevent the world war from escalating it is winning it at the beginning. Yeah, but a world war and a nuclear holocaust are two different things. That's true, but we are in a world war where the two other major nuclear powers, and there are other nuclear powers in just the United States, Russia, and China, uh, but the three primary nuclear powers would be the three of us. Both of the other two are on the other side. Russia and China are working together right now, and that's that's, that's very, very dangerous. So it's not just a matter of what is what is, is Putin going to do. It's also what is Xi Jinping going to do. And I'm far more afraid of Xi Jinping with 1.3 or 1.4 billion people thinking that, that China will survive a nuclear war than I am with Putin, who does not have as many people. I, I, I'm much more afraid of what Xi Jinping might do uh, over, for example, Taiwan. Mm-hmm. And he's watching this very closely. If we project weakness in Ukraine, and so far we have projected nothing but weakness, I could see Xi Jinping making a play on Taiwan. Yeah, yeah. Well, there is uh, another alternative. And uh, the other alternative uh, you kind of hinted to a moment ago, which is that inner circle, uh, the people behind him or around him, which I mentioned to listeners just yesterday, in fact, uh, what would it take for that? That's the third scenario here, actually. Uh, that is a very interesting scenario to uh, have a regime change out there. Uh, and there are other applications here, too, that we're very capable. But I, I think at the end of the day, we are gambling and we size this up, uh, surely that or people are thinking that maybe he does care about things and is not willing to use nuclear weapons when he has come out and he has threatened the entire West with exactly using those weapons. He has everything on high alert right now. So it could be a game of chicken, maybe, but are we willing to risk that is really the question because a nuclear holocaust, I mean, it will, at the very least, at the very least, it changes the world we live in or don't live in in ways that we can simply not imagine if that's all happening at once. Because if they strike and they let all those missiles go to the West, the West strikes back and those missiles all fly because that's, and you have to make that decision as Wallace just said inside of 30 minutes, you have to make it in moments here, notice. You have to get all those up in the air. So it's a, if somebody does a calculus that is quite wrong, that's it. There's no second option. We should have, we could have, we may have, we thought. So the really only answer is to get him out of there. I I think if we continue to provoke him, we are taking a risk that uh, is, we put everything in jeopardy, I believe. Uh, And I've made that clear in the last many days. I have a sense that Putin's at another point of his life somehow uh, that I, I, he does not care about people. I'm not sure he cares about his own family either. Back to Wallace's point about the kids. Somebody like this is, is I mean, he's not all there, whatever, it, it, at least the way we see it, at least the way to, because, you know, listen, there are those who respect human life and can understand the value of humanity and who we are and what we are as people. And those who don't have any, qualms, they go to bed at night, put their head on the pillow and have no problem with how many people they've killed in a given day. This man qualifies in that group. So if you up the ante just a little bit more, what does that game of chess look like? 
yeah, I, I think he is very capable of unleashing a nuclear war for sure. And I think if you're going down and it's like it's like the jihadists, they, they, they want to go see Allah and have their sex in heaven kind of thing. You know, I mean, when when you have a different version of this life and you all bets are off, you these, this is where the dangerous part of this thing comes in and the equation. And you have to begin to ask yourself, what are we going to look like years from now? Uh, you know, the world. It's a scary thought, isn't it? When you think about, you know, and, and nuclear, and as Wallace was saying, we all kind of thought that nuclear was an older conversation. We probably wouldn't have again, maybe to this degree, like you said, going under the desk and ooh, you know, all those alarms, you know, you hear those alarms, rawr, 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 you know, and we thought that's ah, kind of, that's back there. Now we're into a more simpler life, like yeah, you know, like bioweapons and cyber catastrophes and electrical grids being blown up in just a simpler day, you know? Yeah, we thought that was there, you know? Other ways to end mankind kind of thing. <laughs> I'll tell you, the human race, it's, uh, it's, it's remarkable, isn't it? I just studying the human race uh, should keep us all pretty uh, occupied trying to figure that out as I talk to you each and every day here. Well, I'll tell you what, after the last few days, I was feeling a little stressed with all of this, truth be told, and because I, I see the writing on the wall and I study this thing uh, uh, pretty carefully. And, uh, and, you know, so, but, you know, I felt better today. I think maybe because we got past the, the, uh, uh, the, what they call the state of the union or the abomination of the union, uh, as I call it, you know. And, uh, and you know, and, and uh, I, I felt a little better today. I got out and I walked about uh, four miles this morning, believe it or not. How many did you walk? Well, come on now. We've got a contest going here, right? Got to see how many you can walk. Let me know. Uh, well, within the confines of the time we have available, we probably should say that, right? It is about prioritizing our time, though, isn't it? Right? We got to prioritize. I mean, yeah, it's a busy day, but, you know, we don't prioritize, uh, you know, our own wealth, wealth health, health and well-being, not wealth and hell-being, but, uh, you know, health and well-being. Right? We don't prioritize that. What do we have really at the end of the day? So yeah, I took a beautiful long walk this morning. It was really nice. It was nice. It was, I, I see people in the distance playing golf and people on the sidewalks walking and, you know, and come across multiple people. Hello, hello, good, good, good morning, good morning. Yes, yes, you know, good day. And just beautiful, 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 beautiful to see the people out there. And I thought, you know, mm, you know, wouldn't it be a shame to lose all of this, you know? <laughs> And all of its glory, huh? You know, really, isn't that the way, in a simpler way to look at life and people going about their business? And I wonder to myself, how many of those people really understand what's going on in the world stage? Are they really paying attention? How many of those even watched the, uh, the abomination of the union speech last night? How many of those people watch that? I wondered, you know, and, uh, I always think, I, I don't know about you, but I always put myself in people's minds to think, what are they thinking? You know, or what kind of a life does that person have? Do you do that as well? You know, I do that when I see people like at a public venue or a restaurant or something, you know, and you see people with family and kids and you wonder, you know, and I always think of that, you know, and I think, uh, and I always do that when I'm walking through the sidewalks of life, the sidewalks of America, I call it. I tell you, I'm going to write a book about that. Sidewalks of America, all the unique people you meet and the different personalities and some people will give you a hello and how you're doing. And some people it's hooray for me and the hell with you and walk right by and not give you the time of day or a glass of ice water if you needed it. Uh, there are those people as well, my friends, but they all exist 
in the world, don't they? Well, I am truly excited to tell you, with all the things we have going on in America Out Loud, today as you hear the program, before I get to a couple of points here, I want you to go and, first of all, I want you to read the op-ed that Wallace Garneau has on there. He's a brilliant mind and comes out with some perfect reasons as to why, which I'm going to tell you about in a moment, why this war is happening. He nailed it. And I haven't heard anybody, I haven't seen anybody nail it the way he did. And uh, and I can't even give you the title of that article right now until I talk about it, because I don't want to give anything away. But it is live, that op-ed on the platform, and I want you to go take a look at that uh, just at the end of the program here. And uh, I also want you to look at another one. I am really, really excited uh, to have on the network a brand, a beautiful new expert, a great, great military man, leader, patriot. Uh, and, uh, excite, you know, our family is expanding at America Out Loud in ways that we could have only have, 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 have dreamt of previously, you know. And that is uh, Colonel Lawrence Sellen has now become a uh, regular uh, writer and contributor here at America Out Loud. Could not be more pleased. Uh, it's great to have that top-level military expertise on. Uh, his piece is a must-go read as well. As you read Wallace's, I want you to read his Restoring the Republic, Nicolin, a 2022 emergency presidential election. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and he goes there he goes there starts off enough is enough i love it i love it and he he brings the goods and i'm sure he'll be writing a lot about uh the russians and afghanistan uh, well afghanistan that too probably but russia and ukraine used to be russia and afghanistan but now it's ukraine right uh, but uh, anyways, that is a must read his piece there, Colonel Lawrence Sellen. Check that out at the same time. There's some other terrific pieces and op-eds here uh, th throughout the evening now uh, that you'll want to be watching and, and reading and share them with the world. Get them out there. That's the most important thing, my friends. It's all back at AmericaOutloud.com. Listen, one of the joys I have to do in this program is to talk about the quality of life. I've always done it. I've done it throughout the years I've ever been on broadcast with you. My goal is for all of us, all of our listeners, to have the best immune systems, to feel good, uh, to be the healthiest people on the planet. I want America Out Loud listeners and our readers to be the most informed, but the most healthy and the most, and the most, the, just the uh, in the prime, there are immune systems, you know. And of course, I tell you all the time about healthy cell, but I'd, I'd like to talk to you today about something different. And I'm really excited about these people for a lot of reasons. We've learned a lot of things in the past two years about these viruses. And as Wallace was just saying, a lot of these things that are coming that we talk about the, the, the hemorrhagic fever, the Nipah virus. Uh, the Marburg, all these viruses and flu, there's a lot of problems and the bioweapons and COVID, of course, and all that, but really superbugs and pathogens, things of this nature. We have to learn to live with these things. It's a new world order. And as I was outside walking the, uh, this morning, I was thinking, oh, beautiful clean air. How do we get this clean air into our environments, into our homes and feel good? Because uh, I love being outside for that reason, rather than being stuck into walls and and that's kind of where these viruses or these diseases and flus and superbugs get spread. It's through the pathogens in the air. Let's face it. That's how it happens. That's the transmission point. 
That's where it's at, people. And so we want to be conscious of that in our homes, in our businesses, in our lives. We're very, very careful in, in the way we do that. I want to introduce you to the Genesis Fogger. Uh, the Genesis Fogger. Been talking to these folks for a couple of months and excited to have them on the platform here. Uh, this product is a game changer for killing the pathogens. This is this is this is new, really interesting. How do you say this is creating a whole new market? That's the way I'd say it. It's a whole new market. Uh, the, the folks behind this are really cool people. Very exciting, great Christian conservative patriots and uh, the kind of people we like to hang with. And uh, it, it's, it's exciting stuff. So what happens is you put HOCL, right? That is, that is unbelievable. That's a great product. It's very safe, natural. Anytime you talk to an MD, but, and you'll be hearing our MDs on the platform talk about this, I am sure. But it's safe. It's effective. You can wash your, fruit, wash your fruits and vegetables with it. You can use it for a nasal rinse in your nose. I mean, come on. Come on. I mean, this has got all kinds of applications. The HOCL does. But you put it in the Genesis Fogger. And it, it puts a fine mist all through the air, and it stops the transmission of any of these things happening. So especially if you've got like a, an event happening or a party or people coming over, a party, something like that, or an event, whatever, you definitely, definitely don't want to proceed without having this for sure. Anyways, genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud. Now there's studies, there's scientific things, there are all kinds of stuff. Go look at it. I can't get into all that here. So go look at all of that. Our listeners get 15% off the Genesis Fogger. Now, we negotiated that with the company to bring, like we did with the others, just to bring the best uh, possible value to our listeners that we can. So that's it. 15% off the Genesis Fogger. You got it right there. And um, there's also some banner ads back at America Out Loud as well. You can click those there. Anyways, genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud gets you 15% off. Listen. Make your inside environment like the outside environment. Clean, amazing, feeling good. Absolutely, people. And that's how you do it, the Genesis Fogger. Listen, we're going to take a fast pause here. We're on with Wallace Gardeau. Looking forward to finishing this conversation. We'll see you just on the other side here. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. It's time to rethink COVID disinfection. A study by Harvard, Drexel, and Virginia Tech concluded, we don't have a single documented case of COVID transmission through surfaces. The reality is that COVID spreads mainly through the air. Shared air is the problem, not shared surfaces. The solution is the Genesis Fogger, which uses natural HOCL to disinfect both air and surfaces simultaneously. It's perfect for home or business. NIH says HOCL may well be the disinfectant of choice for coronaviruses. There's nothing more natural or more effective. Genesis fogs at the precise particle size to combat COVID and other harmful pathogens. It's what's missing from your disinfecting protocol. Visit genesisfogger.com. America Out Loud listeners receive a 15% discount with promo code OUTLOUD at genesisfogger.com slash OUTLOUD. As Americans, we seek to form a more perfect union. To paraphrase Abraham Lincoln, we are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. 
and God willing, we shall not perish from the earth. AmericaOutloud.com Liberty and justice for all. Join you back here on The Voice of a Nation. It is Malcolm Out Loud. It is yours truly here, and thank you for being with us on the mission. It is my pleasure, my fellow Americans, and to our friends around the globe. We have a lot of listeners throughout Europe, and Australians love this network. Australians, I feel like they're our brothers and sisters in Australia. I mean, they love this network, and New Zealanders do as well. And a lot of those folks listen to as well. We see the analytics come in and where folks listen and the various countries that are really powerful after, of course, our own country. And, uh, and our listeners listen in from the West Coast to the East Coast, or as we say, or Reagan would say, uh, from sea to shine and see. There are days those seas don't shine as much as I wish they did, uh, my fellow Americans, but we surely are working hard uh, to put that shine back in. Uh, the State of the Union was a very forgettable event. In fact, the USA Today had that headline, Joe Biden's weak, forgettable State of the Union won't help as abysmal poll numbers. And boy, are they dropping. Uh, Wallace, I don't think I've seen a president's poll numbers, and certainly I've never seen it in my lifetime, where they've dropped into the 30s and they're still plummeting, which was a kind of a refreshing moment for me to be able to understand that, okay, Americans get this now, like, like Democrats get it, independents surely get it, but people left of the aisle can also understand that this guy is a train wreck and that his policies and programs are not going to be effective. They're not going to work for us. And so I think I look at that as a, 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 a affirmation of what I think is the obvious. Uh, how low can they go, do you think? I think they're going to get down to a point that Joe Biden can count. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Down to five or six, huh? Wow. Well, his problem is that he can only count to five or six. It's that he forgets he's counting when he gets about that far. I, I think the, the real issue here is that the, the dropping poll numbers don't really seem to be having much an effect on policy. You would think that a sitting president, when he sees that everything he's doing is failing, the American people see that everything he's doing is failing, that he's being treated as an inept, as an inept old fool by other workers on the, on the, on the world stage. Uh, Putin, for example, you think we don't leave Afghanistan the way we did? He still has the balls to invade Ukraine. You know, there, there are a lot of sub stories here that, that all play together into that. But we don't see any change in behavior. The only thing Joe Biden did yesterday that was positive was mention that police aren't bad guys. And, and you know, that's been his position the whole time. So that's not new. We don't see him changing positions based upon the fact that he is an abysmal failure. If anything, we see him doubling down. Jen Psaki, for example, saying that the problem with uh, a lack of, of, of uh, fossil fuels, you know, rather than making more of them or drilling more out of the ground, which we have every capability of doing, she wants to double down and have less fossil fuels. And as, as you know from the piece I wrote, I think that a lack of fossil fuels is, is exactly what caused the war. Yeah, that's now there's let's get right to that. I, I don't want to miss this opportunity. I want everybody to listen up because you say some pretty striking things here uh, about climate alarmism. Uh, and you say here it's altered access to energy such that free nations now depend on these uh, despots to keep their homes heated and lights on. I've been talking about this in days past. You nailed it perfectly in this op ed. And I thought, oh my God, I, uh, this is just terrific. And you're saying here, 
Now, I want everybody to think about this. Wallace said, he put his finger right on this perfectly. He says, this is shifting the balance of power, both in Europe and around the world. And the same thing is happening here because the United States is following Europe to the same demise. We are now getting a lot of energy. I think we're paying them six. I, I could, I think this number, if I have this right, 650 million a day or something like that. It's pretty outrageous in energy to Russia right now, this moment. We still haven't cut that out. What do you say to that? We have the capability of becoming energy. Uh, we were already there. We were there we already. Were. We could do it again with, within, a, within a couple of months. We could ramp right back up and be where we were before. Uh, but we're, we're, of course, going in the other direction. And it's, it's, it's crazy because what, what I don't think people fully appreciate, and we don't appreciate it because we've, we've, we've had power, we've had electricity and, and energy our entire lives. But imagine what the world would look like if we did not have cheap and reliable energy. You can't cook. You can't turn on the lights. You can't drive a car. You can't listen to this record to this radio station. You can't even be on this radio station. You, you can't get food. You can't get clothing. Or factories don't run, so you're not going to have jobs. Our entire civilization is predicated in having cheap and reliable energy. So when you decide we're not going to produce cheap and reliable energy anymore, we're going to rely on power that, you know, this wind and solar that is intermittent, that you can't really control, that you you have to, you can't balance production to keep up with, with the demand. So you have to balance how much people are able to get to keep it with, with what you're able to produce. Now, when you start fundamentally changing the way the world works in terms of use of energy, and what, what happens is you end up being reliant on the, on the countries that are still producing the energy sources for the energy you need to survive. If Putin decides next January, let's say it's a bad winter and Putin just decides to hell with Western Europe, I'm shutting them off from all natural gas and oil. They lose 40% of all energy all at once. And uh, if you do that in a bad winter, hundreds of millions of people in Western Europe would die. Well, I got news for you. I think that could happen not next winter. I think it could happen now. Uh, now, with the fact that if this war continues to go the way it's going and not in his favor... Uh, I think he's going to do a lot of, I think he's going to be very irrational. That, that would not, I, I predicted that several days ago. I don't think that's even going to be a wink of the eye to him. He doesn't care. He doesn't care about people, obviously. So he'd do that in a hot second. Why do you think the leaders in Europe are so pathetic? Why do you think they jumped into bed to get there? I mean, we got the climate thing, but intellectually, they have to know, they have to know that they were sleeping with the devil. Why would they put their people at risk with these pathetic decisions they made to be able to partner with the devil. Well, if I can quote Thomas Sowell for a moment, he said that the, the first job anybody in elected office has is to get elected and get reelected. Whatever else they may care about is very, very far down on their list of priorities. Uh, people are getting elected by talking about climate alarmism. You can sound like uh, like you're a, a moral purist by talking about climate alarmism. And people, they get elected talking about these things. Once they're in office, Having talked about these things, they feel a need to deliver because that is what got them elected. Getting reelected is based upon focusing on that message. And I think we have to understand 
politicians focus more on message than they do on anything else. So they, they focus on getting reelected and doing the things that got them elected so they can get reelected. They don't really care whether or not those things work. A politician does not get punished if their policies don't work. They only get punished if they go off message and stop doing the things that they've run their political career doing. So you've got all these people that are in office, that are in positions of power, that have been talking about green energy and, and uh, CO2 neutral and all of these other things that they cannot deliver on, but they have to try to deliver on it because that's what they got elected on. That's what they've run their political careers on. And all of a sudden, well, we have to do that, but we also still have to have the lights working. We have to be able to heat homes and deliver groceries to the store and all these other things. They have no choice but to get energy from the people that are still producing it. So we have to go to Saudi Arabia, even though that's the country that the people that did 9-11 came from. We have to go to Russia, even though they're invading Ukraine. And we're still incidentally, NASA's still working with Russia. This idea that we're putting sanctions on Russia, we're slapping them on the wrist, we're thumping our chest and making all the right statements to the public. And Putin's laughing at us because he knows we're neutered. There is nothing we can do because we're reliant on them for food, we're reliant on them for cars, we're reliant on them for everything because we're reliant not just on Russia, but we're reliant on other countries for the energy that we need to survive. They know it. We know it. Europe would be absolutely, if they shut down oil and gas right now, natural gas and oil right now, uh, they'd have a hell of a time getting food, but at least at least the winter is ending. So it would not be as bad as if he did it like in a bad January, but you're right. He can do it right now and it would have absolutely devastating effects oh, yeah. all across oh, yeah. Europe. We're in a better position than Europe is, but we are heading in the direction that Western Europe. And went. that's your point you pull out in the piece here. You also say this, uh, listen to this folks, Putin, uh, Putin invaded Ukraine because Europe gave him the power to kill off the rest of the continent. In other words, Putin invaded Ukraine because he knew that the rest of Europe could not do anything about it. Europe neutered itself and Putin is taken advantage. At the end of the day, it's as simple as that. You broke it down into context that anybody can grasp right there as far as why he's doing it. So he has an invitation to do it now. Uh, he is one of these madmen who is out. I mean, when you think about it, I mean, everything he's doing to Ukraine now, I have to believe, and the last big point I want to try to make with you is, I have to believe if this man is not well or ill or whatever it is, and he is sweating bullets there in any capacity, and his inner circle are seeing that, I have to believe, Wallace, that his inner circle, they also have families and people, and not all of them can be totally uh, deranged and incapable of understanding humanity. I have to believe that it is very possible that an internal coup, I think more than ever before, and I'll say this to you publicly right now, I think more than ever before at any other moment right now, because of his recklessness and his coolness with what he's doing to young boys, women and children and real people uh, again, in, and it's being publicized all over the world in ways that previous wars sometimes are not. The world has changed dramatically. You can't get away with it now. And I think I think the real threat of an internal taking him out and somebody putting a bullet in his head is is real. What, what do you say to that? I think you're absolutely right. And I think getting back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, I think that the threat of nuclear war is much greater when the other side thinks they can win one. So if they think we're weak and we're not going to retaliate in kind, I think they're more likely to strike than if they think that we will retaliate in kind. I think that if you push him to the edge and the people around him, Russian generals and other members yeah. of the Politburo and everybody else, they start to think that he might do that. That's right. when he's taken out of power. So 
you know, if, uh, now if you, I'm hoping that's what you just said. Listen, I've been praying about what you just said. No, I'm, I'm for real. That's been on my mind for days now. And I've been praying about exactly that, that the good Lord will help us give, remove this because he is certainly one of the disciples of Satan right there, Vladimir Putin. He's certainly a disciple of Stalin. Uh, and, and very openly so. I mean, this guy, he, he follows the playbook. He very, very shrewd. If, if you if you look at him as somebody who grew up in communist Russia that thought communist Russia was a great place, KGB officer in eastern Germany, a whole nine yards. And you look at the, his career progression. He's doing exactly what he was taught to do. It's, it's, it's not like this guy is is it's, it's not like being violent is new to him. That's right. That's right. You know, and, I, and it's not like being violent is necessarily evil for him. The one thing he cares about. That's it. And the, the one thing that he truly, truly does care about is Russia. Yeah. Yeah. But everything is everything is dispensable when all when you're going to lose your pants in the process. And I don't think anything matters there at that point. And he's one of those prideful guys. I think he'd be the kind of people like the, the the jihadists who throw the backpack on there and say, you know what, I'm just going to go to the afterlife. We'll go to Allah and have sex with the uh, the virgin. I think that's what the, I think to, he's not going to maybe that version of Allah, but I don't think it would be past him at all to go to what he thinks is the next branch of whatever hell, I guess. I don't really know. You know, Wallace, I, I don't think so. Well, I, I think that the people around him would take him out of power. I hope you're right. That far. I, well, right. I, I, I can't imagine a, a major right. country like the Soviet, like 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 Russia. I, I can't imagine them starting a major. Well, one country. last thing, then. Here's the other big thing, and we only have seconds left here. But why don't we take? Why didn't we take them out? Or why don't we can pinpoint anything on the planet and go get it? But I mean, we got to be damn well sure what we're doing. Clearly, but and I'm sure we know all the people in the circle. We may even be in communication with some of them. What do you say to that? I say we better have plausible deniability. We better know who's going to rise up after him. We better have that person's okay. Yeah, for sure. But it is a possibility, isn't it? Absolutely. It's a possibility. We can yeah. strike anybody we want. Yeah. He has to come out in public, but with our yeah. satellites, drones, or, yeah, we can, we actually have the capability of taking somebody out. You know, I'll end you with a, with a, with an interesting note, Wallace. And that is, uh, as the, um, the, uh, the, uh, the abomination of the union was happening there, uh, the, the thought that came to my mind, and you get a quick comment on this. Uh, one thing that came to my mind is designated survivor. What do you say to that? It's a good show. Uh, do I think something could happen to the State of the Union address that would, would I mean, it's, it's passed, but do I think something that, like that could happen? Uh, there's another book where it does by Tom Clancy, where uh, Jack Ryan is the vice president. He's just leaving the White House. He's going to be in a separate position. All of a sudden, the, all of a sudden, Congress is blown up in a joint session of Congress. And, and so he has to put the government back together. Fascinating book. I don't remember the title, but uh, yeah, yeah but it, it's possible that it could happen. It would certainly be a, a cataclysmic major event. Uh, do I think it's likely that it'll happen? I, I, I don't think it's very likely. Yeah, it, it is interesting that that came to my mind. Uh, that is Wallace Garneau. You hear there, it's a pleasure to have him on. Always a joy uh, to, to talk to Wallace here. Uh, please read his op-ed. You're definitely, and, but I, I tell you, he just nails uh, the equation here in ways that very few do. Uh, that article is entitled Climate Alarmism, Ukraine and Nuclear War. All the things we talked about here and more is in that piece there. Also, remember to read the piece from uh, Colonel Lawrence Sellen uh, that is brand new on the platform. Restoring the Republic, a 2022 emergency presidential election. 
And listen, let's double down and triple down on sharing the out loud truth, okay? Let's get that out there beyond, surely from sea to shine and sea and all over the world. Uh, let's get the message that liberty and justice is alive and well, and uh, it is here indeed. Thank you, my fellow Americans, and to our friends around the globe for joining me here on the mission. It's time to get involved and get loud.